Heavenly Father, we thank you for mothers. We thank you for their tender hands, their loving words, their tireless labors, all of which nurtured and and uh, guided and protected us and disciplined us and they calmed and shaped us and carried us through our lives. Mothers are a wonderful gift from you and a blessing from you. We are especially appreciative and grateful for those moms who carefully and consistently sought to and have and continue to seek to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of Jesus Christ. This morning we also recognize that Mother's Day can be a painful time for some. Some today are mourning, are mourning the loss of their mother. Some are mourning the loss of a child or of a broken relationship or children who never were. For them we ask that you would give them comfort and grace this day. May you move and heal relationships where needed. Father, may you replace mourning with joy and emptiness with fullness of heart and with opportunities to minister to and to touch the lives of others. Father, we lift these dear ladies up to you. Again, thanking you for them and for their care. Father, we ask for your blessing upon them. Help them to be godly and good mothers and grandmothers and mentors. Give them patience. Give them wisdom. Give them courage and strength. Some of them today might just need some rest. Give them that. Give them encouragement from family and friends. Help them all to reflect the love of Jesus to their families, their children, and to all who know them. May we rise up this day and call them blessed. And may you, Lord God, bless them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to take your Bibles. Whether you're here or whether you're at home, I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 6. And I apologize if my voice is a bit raspy and weak this morning. Uh, good news, I don't have COVID. Bad news, it's spring. And uh, I went out Monday and mowed the grass and uh, did work outside. And when I came in, I could hardly see through my eyes. They were so puffy and swollen. And uh, the rest of the week has just been kind of downhill from there. Tuesday, I looked like I'd been in a fight when I came into the office. My eye was bruised and baggy and, and uh, all that. And anyway, eventually I thought, well, I better get a COVID test just to make sure this isn't something else. And it wasn't. I went to even see the doctor on Friday because I'm just like, I'm not getting better. And he just said, it's just allergies, you know. Thank you. So here I am. So the good news, I'm not coughing, you know, Anything on you except uh, allergies. <laughs> you might want to duck. Uh, <laughs> we come here to Matthew chapter 6, continuing in our series, studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today we're coming to verses 25 through 34, and Jesus addresses a subject which is very applicable 
to all of us. He comes to the subject of worry. You know, many people live in frequent bits of worry and sometimes even constant worry. And even sometimes it gets to panic. We might wonder, well, what are they worried and panicked about? Well, it's anything, everything. If you haven't noticed, the world is full of stuff to be worried about. I mean, there's international wars, there's international tensions, there's terrorism, there's rising crime and violence, and there's COVID, and there's allergies, and there's cancer, and there's all kinds of natural disasters. There's, there's earthquakes, and fires, and floods, and, and there's um, economic things going on, like inflation, and job shortages, and food shortages, you know, in places around the world, and product shortages are my favorite stuff on the shelves, and there's, what else? There's problems at school, and there's problems at work, and there's problems at home with your spouse, and your kids, and, and you know, and here's Mother's Day, and here we're bringing up all these problems, and, well, do you find yourself concerned and worried even panicked at times. Okay, finish this song. Here's a little song I wrote. Might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. There we go. There's the world's answer to this problem. Yeah, we whistle. (laughs) Don't worry. Throw a party. There's the answer. Simply stop being worried. And throw a party. Be happy. At first glance, as we come here today, Jesus' words sound somewhat similar to that. But they are vastly different and significantly better. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Follow along as I read this passage to us this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, or in some translations, and it's literally, don't worry. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you.
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for it, will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry is a problem among the desperately poor and also among the filthy rich and also among everyone in between. Some of us are more inclined to worry than others, but at times all of us fall victim to worry. Now Jesus here is, he focuses upon poor people, those who are concerned about the very basics of life. How will we eat? What will we have to drink? What will we have to wear? But if these principles apply for them who lack and who wrestle with the very basics of life, how much more these principles will apply to us who have so very much more. Jesus' main point here is don't worry. Don't worry. Worry hurts us. Worry is damaging to us. It can even be debilitating. It's damaging mentally, emotionally. It is a leading cause of stress. Worry can hurt us physically, cause illness. Charles Mayo, one of the founders of the Mayo Clinic, is quoted as saying, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I've never known a man to die from overwork but many who died from worry. Worry is damaging to us mentally, physically, and also spiritually. Most importantly, it affects our relationship with God. You see, for one thing, three times in this passage, Jesus says, here in the the ESV, He says, Don't be anxious. Or as I said in the NIV and some other translations, don't worry. Literally, stop worrying. In every case, you will notice it's a command. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Bad news. If it's a command, it means that when we break the command, it is, what do you think? Sin. Ooh. We think of worry as a little, you know, character flaw. <laughs> it's a little thing I wrestle with now and then, or all the time. But we rarely call it what it is. Sin. That's bad news. The good news is, If Jesus says worry is sin, stop worrying, then guess what? There's going to be a way we can stop worrying. There's a way to get victory over this. There's nothing the Scripture says that we are tempted to do, but God does not make a way of escape, a way out. And in this passage, Jesus doesn't just tell us, don't worry, But He gives us a way out. Here in this passage, Jesus 
explains to us how we can gain victory over worry. So this is a very practical thing because it is something which which affects us all. And it may be something that's very crucial for you this morning if you are in the midst right now of worry. Especially if you are suffering almost debilitating worry. Three keys Jesus will give us this morning to getting rid of worry. Three things that He gives us here in this passage. The first is in this passage Jesus gives us perspective. We need to gain a proper perspective of worry. And Jesus says several things in this passage that we need to notice about worry so that we have a right perspective. Besides what I've already said, that worry is sin. That's the first thing we need to change in our perspective of worry. But secondly, notice in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is life not is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, isn't life a bigger deal than the stuff that we tend to worry about? See, here's the point. Worry is wrongly focused. Worry is focused on how we will survive, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. It's focused on possessions. Notice the first word of verse 25, which I just read. What's the first word? Look at it. You got it in front of you. What is it? Therefore. As one of my seminary professors said, and some of you have been in Bible studies, they say this a lot. When you come to the word therefore, you're supposed to look to see what it is therefore. What it always does is sends you back. And so we have to think about what Jesus has just been talking about. Over the last two Sundays, we've been looking at Jesus talking about wealth, earthly possessions, And do not store up, do not lay up, do not focus upon, do not treasure up treasures on earth, but rather treasure up treasures in heaven. He's been comparing the worthlessness of earthly stuff and the worthwhileness because of the internal value, the inestimable eternal value of heavenly treasures. And Jesus is telling us right here that worry is focused on the stuff of earth. Is focused on what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Even focused on our life, which this life is short and fleeting. We can't hang on to any of it. And so it should not be our primary concern. How will I survive today? Our primary concern is in whatever time I have, How do I invest this time in what really matters? Worry is focused on the wrong stuff. As Jesus reminds us here, our life, its meaning, its purpose, its value, is more than food, clothing, and earthly stuff. If that's what we're focused on, we're focused on the wrong stuff. And that is where we find the roots of worry. There's a second thing of truth that we need to recognize and realize about worry. It's in verse 27. 
And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Worry, he says, is ineffective. Worry changes nothing. Literally, what Jesus says here is you can't add a single cubit to your span of life. He mixes his metaphors as he's talking. He's talking about length of time, but he adds in length of measure. You know, and so it'd be like us saying, you can't add an inch to your life. He does that for dramatic effect. You know, but the point is, worry doesn't change anything. You know, there's an old saying that says, you can only worry about two things. First, you can worry about something that you can do something about. Or secondly, you can worry about something you can do nothing about. If you're worrying about something you can do something about, stop worrying and get busy doing something about it. If you're worrying about something you can't do anything about, then stop worrying because you can't do anything about it. Huh. Who knew? Worry is ineffective. Jesus is being very practical here. Worry causes lots of problems. It blows a lot of smoke, but it fixes and changes nothing. It's kind of like fog. It can gridlock an entire city, but it has little real substance to it. That's worry. It's ineffective. A third reality in Truth we need to grasp as we gain a proper perspective of worry is look down at verse 34. I discovered this verse for the first time when I was in college. I kind of made it my life verse in college. I memorized it in a different translation. But it says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Or here in the ESV, therefore do not be anxious tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Face one day at a time, Jesus says. Every day brings its own problems, so let's face today's problems now, not tomorrow's. Most of the time we worry about tomorrow's problems. Not today's. Tomorrow's problem simply may never materialize. Let's face it. Most of the things we worry about never happen. And it wasn't because we worried about them. They just never happened. But we were afraid they might. Today does often have problems. That's reality. He says focus on those problems. Earlier in this sermon that Jesus preached, earlier in this chapter, chapter 6, Jesus taught us how to pray. You remember? It says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here it comes. Give us this day our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread. Not the next day's bread. Not next week's bread. Not next month's bread. Not next year's bread. Give us our daily bread. Jesus said, focus on today's problem, not tomorrow's. That's what you should be concerned about. Don't worry about tomorrow. Deal with today's problem. We um, 
sang earlier, great is thy faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, I've noticed that God tends to give us the mercy and the grace and the strength and the provision we need today for today. Look at the children of Israel going through the desert. God provided the manna for the day, every day. The only time He made an exception and provided tomorrow's manna was on the day before the Sabbath. He provided the Sabbath's provision the day before so they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath. It was miracle, miracle every morning. So God wants us to understand that He provides... On time, but not necessarily ahead of time. So worried is useless. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 talks about us coming to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And I notice again, God never promises to provide the mercy and grace we need before we need it. Only when we need it. So worrying ahead of time is not what Scripture calls us to do. Instead, leave tomorrow for tomorrow. Face today's issues today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We need new perspective of worry if we're going to gain victory over that. Very practical things Jesus gave us right there, but there's much more. By the way, just before I leave that last thought, that Jesus' instruction about not being worried about tomorrow. It's not an indictment against planning and thinking ahead. Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to save up some money for retirement. Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to think, what do I need to accomplish tomorrow? And let me make out a list of things that need to be done. Jesus isn't saying that it's it's wrong to think ahead and plan ahead. What he is saying is, don't worry about it. Don't fret. Don't, 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 be, don't be consumed by that. Don't be obsessed by what tomorrow might bring or what might happen tomorrow. It's okay to make plans. It's okay to think ahead. But don't obsess and don't worry. Okay. The second key that we need if we are going to gain victory over worry is this word, providence. Trust in God's providential care. That word providence is a word that we may not use very much, but it means simply this. God knows our needs. God cares about our needs. And God supplies for our needs. The providence of God, He knows, He cares, and He takes care of us. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God feeds the birds. I know some of you have bird feeders. You put them out there. But believe it or not, if you don't put bird feeders out there, they will probably not starve. We put bird feeders out there because we want to attract birds because we like to look at birds. Or maybe we like squirrels. And uh, <laughs> we like to look at squirrels. 
I don't have a bird feeder because I have way too many squirrels already. Thank you very much. Birds don't harvest, he says. They don't plant crops. They don't grow harvests. And they don't store up in barns. God has not equipped them to do that. And he says, are you not more valuable than a bird? That's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. And the obvious answer is, yes, you are more valuable than birds. In case we wonder, does Jesus really believe that we are? Yes, he does. He makes it very clear over in just a couple of chapters later, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? They're not worth very much. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, although it doesn't take as much number, numbering to count mine anymore. <laughs> Some of the rest of us notice this. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It's very clear. Yes, you are worth more than the birds. And the point is this. God feeds the birds. So, trust God. And don't worry. Since God even cares for the birds, you can trust Him. By the way, some people have taken these words and twisted them to try to make an excuse for laziness. That all we need to do is stand around with our mouths open and our hands open and wait for God to supply. That's foolish. That's Silly, stupid. You know, I mean, while God supplies for the birds, you don't see the eagle out there. You see the eaglet waiting for mom to bring something, okay? God did supply our moms to feed us for a while. And then, when that little eaglet grows up, the mom, you know, kicks it out of the nest. You're on your own. Which, by the way, moms, is something that human moms get to do too. You know, you're on your own. And then we're not supposed to sit around waiting for mom or waiting for God. We're to do what the birds do. God supplies for them as they go hunt for food. This is not a telling us that we don't need to work. It's simply telling us we don't need to worry. Big difference, by the way. Okay. With that caveat, just had to make sure, put that in there so nobody's sitting around on mom's couch waiting for mom to feed them, you know, when you're 50. Okay, verse 28. Sorry if I hit somebody. That was not directed at anybody in particular or in general. Never mind, I'm going on. Verse 28, just dig a deeper hole every time. Just go on. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Point, God clothes the flowers, the grass, the plants, the lilies of the field. Jesus, I believe there is the, some of us have been there with, where they think the Sermon on the Mount took place on that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee 
and that slope down to the, the sea, and you look around, and it's all grassy, these beautiful fields. And Jesus is just saying, look around. And in the grass of the fields, there's growing up, there's these flowers. And He says, look at the flowers. And you take the, the, the simplest of flower, just a little wild flower here in the field, and you compare it to the finest clothes. And He says, the flowers got them beat. The complexity, the intricacy, the beauty, the delicacy, the amazing flower says beats even the finest clothes that Solomon had. The richest man of the world. He says, folks, tomorrow a scorching wind might come along as it would do at times there in Israel. Just suddenly the you know, it's that time of year and the wind shifts and it comes and there's no rain and that grass withers and dies almost overnight. And it turns to this dried grass. And he said the, the locals would then go and take that grass and they would go and harvest it, take it home, and you, they would burn it in their ovens to cook dinner. He says if God takes the time to take grass that's just here for such a little while and adorn it so exquisitely. And isn't God going to care for you? You who are His children? You who as His children are going to live forever? God cares for the flowers of the field, so trust God and don't worry. Do you notice the last phrase there of verse 30? He says... Will He not clothe more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's the great problem with worry. Here's why worry is such a big deal. Besides all the problems that worry causes for us, the angst of our soul and our mind, the physical toll it takes upon us, the big problem with worry is this, and why it is a sin is that worry is a lack of faith. Worry is doubt. It's doubting either that God knows our needs, or that God cares about our needs, or that God can fix our needs. In other words, worry is doubting the greatness of God's power, or it's doubting the goodness of His character. And so he says, have faith. How can we say that we, we trust God? How can we say as followers of Jesus Christ that we trust God? I believe on Jesus Christ as my Savior. I recognize that I'm a sinner because I am a sinner that I am deserving of hell. But God demonstrated His love for us in that He sent His Son Jesus Christ, God became man. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And He rose again from the dead. And because I trust Him, because I believe in Him, my sins are forgiven. I've been adopted into the family of God. I have a future in heaven. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's where all of this starts. You need a relationship with Him to become His child. And it's all by 
trusting Jesus, what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. Trust him as your Savior. But to say that I have faith in God for all of that, that I'm going to heaven, not hell, because I believe God. I have a future in heaven because I believe God. My sins are forgiven because I believe God. And then to say, well, I can't trust him with that he will provide what I need tomorrow to eat. I can't trust him with this problem. I can't trust him with that problem. I can't believe that he will really help this situation. Isn't that foolish? More than foolish, isn't that offensive to God? See, the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says this, We can trust God for all our needs. After all, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him? In other words, how will God not also along with Christ graciously give us all things? If God didn't hold back Jesus to meet our needs, what else would He hold back? Nothing is bigger than that. We insult the gracious nature of God. We demean His mighty power when we refuse to trust and rest in His providential care. Trust Him. Don't worry. Twice in this little section of verses, Jesus uses this phrase, Your heavenly Father. Look at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. If you are trusting Jesus as your Savior, God is your Father. A few sentences down in this sermon. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Chapter 7. Jesus talks, he notes how earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. Dads know how to give things to their children that are good for them, things their children need. And he says a good dad won't withhold from his child what they really need. And God is a much superior father than our earthly dad, even if they're good. God is a far superior Father. So we can trust Him. In fact, Jesus tells us there, we'll see in a couple of weeks, He tells us to ask our Father. Ask our Father instead of worrying. Pray, in other words. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We read this passage earlier in our responsive reading. So appropriate. It's another great passage on worry. By the way, if you worry, memorize God's Word. Memorize this passage. Memorize this one here. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, that's talking to God, with thanksgiving. Don't miss that little thing. That's, That's a key one. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do you get victory over worry? He says there, pray and be thankful. And he says God's peace will show up. It's a peace that doesn't make sense. 
It surpasses understanding. We have a loving Father. So when you have worries, concerns, go to Him. Ask. Pray instead of worry. You know, by the way, it's often sometimes very hard to just say, what do I do if instead of worry, my mind just keeps going to worry? Well, you don't stop worrying. You replace it with something. Replace it with prayer. Replace it with thanksgiving. Trust Him. Don't worry. Pray. Don't worry. Lastly, here's the last, the third key in getting rid of worry. And it comes down to this word, priorities. Re-aim your priorities. Aim for the right target. Verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. This verse grabs a lot of the concepts we've already had, but it's very important we get this here. What he says, in essence, is don't live like an unbeliever. Don't live like somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Don't live like somebody who doesn't have a relationship with the Father. This whole Sermon on the Mount is to Jesus' disciples. As Jesus is telling us, as my followers, here's what you are to be and how you are to look and how, what you are to do. And it's going to be different than the rest of the world out there. And if we're going to conquer worry, then we need to live and we need to think differently than Gentiles, differently than unbelievers. They seek, literally the word there is crave after food and clothing, the stuff, the treasures of earth. But as we've seen the last few weeks, as Jesus followers, we're to be different because we're headed for heaven. That's what matters, not this stuff. And so Jesus goes on to say, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and these other things will be added to you. All these other things, by the way. Seek God's kingdom. Re-aim for the right target. Don't live like unbelievers. Instead, seek God's kingdom. What that means is seek His kingdom, not my kingdom, not your kingdom. We have a tendency, don't we, to go to God and say, God, here's my list of things I want. Here's my perfect life. I got a great plan. Don't you like it? Good. Here's what I want. And God says, not so much. I do have a life planned for you, perfectly laid out for you, but it's different. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't want that. <laughs> Seek His kingdom first. It's what He taught us to pray. Again, go back to the Lord's Prayer that He taught us earlier in this chapter. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Thy kingdom come. Seek first God's kingdom. God, Your kingdom come, not mine. I want what You want on this earth rather than what I want. I know I had this picture of this perfect house and this perfect wife and this perfect kids and this perfect job and this perfect stuff. But God, I want what you want in this life. And it may not be marriage. It may not be a house. It may not be, you know, whatever. But I want what you want. Your agenda, not mine. Your priorities, not mine. Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. 
Seek to live rightly. That's what righteousness is. It's right living. In other words, God, I want to be your kingdom citizen on earth. You see, we've been transferred right now into, as we've been taken into God's family, we've been adopted into His family, and we've been placed in the kingdom of Christ right now. We're living on earth, but our our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, the Scripture says. And so what I want to do, God, is I want to live as your man, as your woman, right here on planet earth. I want to do what's right in a world where everyone is doing what's wrong. I want to go your way when everyone is going the other way, if that's what it takes. Lord, whatever it is to do what is right, that's what I want. I want to live by your standards, not by my standards. Most of us want to live by God's standards as long as it's convenient. I know I do. The problem is when it gets inconvenient. Or it simply isn't the way I want to go. Then I have a problem and I have a very big tendency to go my own way. Anybody else? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then here it is, the big promise and the big finish. Jesus says, God will take care of the rest. Everything else. There is no need to worry anymore. Worry, for all those reasons we saw before, is unproductive and useless and we need to change our perspective. And we, need, we have a God who is our Father who loves and cares for us and so we can trust His providence. And because I have a relationship with God and because I have a future in heaven, I should have different priorities. And Jesus says, when our priorities are right, God has everything else. Worry is totally unnecessary. God's got it. Let's pray. Father, we needed this. We need it because this is where we live. We have such a tendency to get caught up in worrying and fretting over things that don't matter. And the reality is it's because we've got ourselves focused on us. How we needed this change in perspective to understand and to see, oh, that's what I've been doing. How we need to be reminded of what really matters. How we need to be reminded of how good you are and how great you are. That you are a gracious, loving Father and we can trust you. How we need to be reminded that we have been called to higher things. We've been called to live as your sons, as your daughters, as citizens of heaven here on earth with the mission of giving glory to you and sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus with a lost world. Oh God, keep our, keep our eyes focused where they need to be instead of where we so often tend to put them. And may we be people who are free from worry because we are safe and secure in your arms and busy about your purpose. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.